the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amin. Today is the first Sunday of the blessed Coptic month of Thu'ut. And um, as you might remember, this past Tuesday was the Feast of Nehruz, the Holy New Year of the Coptic calendar, the Coptic Church's New Year is usually on September 11th, but this year because there is a leap year, so the, um, the month of Enesi, which is a short month, 13th month, is with six days instead of five, which pushed the first day of Thu'ut to September 12th. On the second day of the Coptic month of Thu'ut, we have also the martyrdom, the beheading of St. John the Baptist, which is why the readings today will focus much on the, uh, the person and the ministry and life of uh, St. John the Baptist. But I want to go back to the Feast of Nehruz and speak a little bit about the New Year. Um, perhaps we in the West, uh, who are more used to living our life according to the secular calendar, we don't really feel that it's a new year for us. Um, December 31st and January 1st is usually when we think of the idea of a new year. But for us in the church, the cycles of all the services for the feasts and the fasts and um, the rhythm of the church is very much tied to our Coptic calendar. So it is good for us to celebrate. Of course, it is also the time that we celebrate the Feast of the Martyrs and, um, and the witness that they give to the life of the church. Um, a new year is always a time of transition. We can always sort of define a new year as a time when we're making a transition from one to another, from old to new. And uh, the Lord, or St. Paul, I should say, said, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So this is the reading that we actually read on the Pauline epistle on the Feast of Nehruz, on, on the first day of the Coptic month of the for the feast. Behold, I have made all things new, the Lord says in the book of Revelation. So... This idea of newness, of course, is tied to the new year as we think of the redemptive and salvific works of Christ who brings history to its culmination, who renews humanity, who renews um, the, 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 the human person from within and uh, provides the means, as we say, the ways of salvation, as we say in the divine liturgy. But the reality is that Many of us don't feel that our life has much that's new. Um, perhaps you've heard the expression, there's nothing new under the sun. I don't know if they use that expression in Arabic, but in English, it's a common expression, there's nothing new under the sun. And I don't know if you're aware where this expression comes from. It actually comes from the Bible. It comes from the book of Ecclesiastes. The, the book of Ecclesiastes is uh, attributed to Solomon, the king, uh, the son of David, and uh, considered one of the wisdom books of the Bible, but it is perhaps also known as one of the most pessimistic books because it is uh, perhaps misunderstood. When you read it on the surface, it's very negative. And so I want, uh, I want to begin by reflecting a little bit on what he says about this expression, there is nothing new under the sun. Um, the work, word Ecclesiastes is where we get, like the, it's the Greek word where we get like ecclesia, church. <clears throat> In this case, it means the preacher. So the preacher is giving sort of a, a meditation on the human condition. He's giving a meditation on the human condition. Now this is, of course, uh, in the Old Testament. So let me just read the very beginning, uh, 
the opening verses of the book of Ecclesiastes. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit has a man from all his labor in which he toils under the sun? One generation passes away and another generation comes. The sun also rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it arose. The wind goes toward the south and turns around to the north. The wind whirls about continually and comes again on its circuit. All the rivers run into the sea, yet the sea is not full. To the place from which the rivers come, there they return again. All things are full of labor. Man cannot express it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. That which has been is what will be, and that which is done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it can be said, see, this is new? So this idea of vanity of vanities, which maybe, so we defined um, sort of the, the theme of the book of Ecclesiastes, sort of a meditation on the human condition, and this expression, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does that word mean? The, the idea that the author of the book of Ecclesiastes means by the word vanity is not that something is necessarily bad, but what he means by it is that it's something that's fleeing, fleeting, sorry, something that's, doesn't, it's temporal, it's, it's just, it's here for a moment and then it passes. And it's undependable, it's fickle, right? It doesn't have sustainability and, 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 uh, and uh, a certain foundation. It is something that is inherently transitive, it's just passing. So what he says throughout the book of Ecclesiastes is that all of these things that he, he enumerates, whether it's labor or politics or riches or fame or honor, all of these things that he enumerates in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's saying, that none of these things have a permanent basis for man's happiness. And yet man, because he continually strives after these things, he realizes that there's nothing new under the sun. There's no contentment, there's no fulfillment, there's no purpose, there's no satisfaction in life because we put all of our hopes in these things. So this is what he means by under the sun. In other words, he's saying that if you just live life under the sun, Right? then life is just, it's, it's a fleeting, undependable, unhappy life in the end when you look back on everything. So to give some examples, he, he mentions, for example, the, the, the toil that man goes through in life, the struggle. He says, therefore I hated life because the work that was done under the sun was distressing to me, for all is vanity and grasping for the wind. Then I hated all my labor in which I had toiled under the sun because I must leave its fruits to the man who will come after me. Right? So even our careers, he says, is just vanity. And how many people complain about not being happy in their, in their work? Regarding pleasure, he says, Then I looked on all the works of my hands had done and on the labor in which I toiled, and indeed all was vanity and grasping for the wind. All the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet the soul is not satisfied. All of the labor of man is for his mouth, and yet his soul is not satisfied, meaning for consuming, eating, drinking. What about the injustices of the world? He says, then I returned and considered all of the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. Power was yielded by their oppressors, and no one was there to comfort them. Therefore, I regarded the dead as fortunate, 
because they had already died and thus were happier than the living were who were still alive. Yet better than both is he who never existed, he who has not seen the evil deeds that are done under the sun. It's a, a bit pessimistic. What about political corruption? If you see the oppression of the poor and the violation of rights and justice, do not marvel at the matter, for high official watches over high official, and the one who has the highest rank keeps watch over them all, and there's nothing new under the sun. Materialism, riches. He says, he who lives, sorry, he who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver, nor he who loves abundance with increase. This also is vanity. And then ultimately he speaks about death. The reality of everything leads us to death. For what happens to men also happens to animals. One thing befalls them, as one dies, so dies the other. Surely they all have one breath. Man has no advantage over animals, for all is vanity. All go to one place, all are from the dust, and all return to dust. So again, under the sun, this is life. Under the sun, apart from God, apart from the purpose that God gives our life, then there's no difference between man and animal. We have the same breath, we come from dust, we return to dust. But let us see what, what he calls the conclusion of the matter. The end of the book gives us what he calls the conclusion of the matter. He says, let us hear the conclusion of the, the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret, secret thing, whether good or evil. A very simple an elusive conclusion, right? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the all of man. For God will bring every work under his judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil. In other words, we could say that the purpose or the, the point of the book, he says, is that apart from just living life under the sun, the real purpose of life is that we come to know God, we come to love God, we come to serve and worship God, and God will take care of the rest. He will bring all things to their fulfillment. So in a sense, the book of Ecclesiastes is almost sort of anticipating the coming of Christ. It's presenting sort of the human condition under the sun, which is all that man had after the fall. That's all that man lived for, was that which was under the sun. And so again, we go back to the, the, the conclusion of the Bible, the, the, the final book of the Bible, the, Re, the book of Revelation, Jesus says, see, I'm making what? All things new. And in the very beginning of St. John's Gospel, in that, um, uh, or in the epistle of St. John, he says, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what is it that gives newness to life? St. John says, it's the light. The light has come and has appeared and cast away the darkness. The darkness in the world, the darkness in our hearts and minds, the darkness that was uh, the domain of, of Satan and his, uh, and his evil spirits. The coming of Christ, the work of Christ, brings light and brings newness and brings transformation and transfiguration to life. And so the point of the new year is that the church teaches us that in Christ, life is always new. Life is always new because the light of Christ is something that doesn't come for a time and leaves. It's not a historical event. It is the light that shines within us, in our minds and in our hearts at every moment. And so 
Again, you say, but nothing is new in my life. I have the same job, I have the same spouse, I have the same kids, unless you're like some of our people who keep increasing kids. I won't mention Peter's name, but... Uh, <laughs> it's only because he's dressing today. Um, what's new? The same church, the same priest who's preaching on Sundays, the same, the same home that I drive to every day, the same car. The, what's new, right? And, and what the church teaches us through the lives of the, the scriptures, of course, and the lives of the saints is that newness doesn't mean novelty. Newness does not mean novelty. Newness means a new attitude towards life, a new spirit, a new heart, a new mind from the inside that looks at everything that's the same on the outside differently. See, that's... that's the, the, the key, right? So Father Jacques Philippe, in his beautiful way as always, he says, we are not always masters of the unfolding of our lives, but we can always be masters of the meaning we give to them. Our freedom can transform any event in our lives into an expression of love, abandonment, trust, hope, and offering. The most important and most fruitful acts of our freedom are not those by which we transform the outside world as those by which we change our inner attitude in light of the faith that God can bring good out of everything without exception. Positive things, come, positive things become a reason for gratitude and joy, negative things an opportunity for abandonment, faith, and offering. Everything becomes a grace. So we can't change the outside world necessarily, but we can change through our freedom and the choice that we have by the light that Christ has sh shown in our hearts and minds through faith that he brings good out of all things, we can change how we interact with the world, how we interact with one another, how we look at the circumstances of our life, even the most difficult sufferings, even the most difficult trials, through the eyes of faith, give new meaning and new purpose and new understanding and new um, strength. So St. Theophan the Recluse, the uh, contemporary Russian saint, uh, he says that our present condition is sort of like what he says, a transient state that is sort of like a sick man who is covered with bandages, or what he says, a tree frozen for the winter or a house under renovation. Right? He says that's sort of how sometimes life is. But he says a time will come when they will take the bandages off the sick man, the um, the new house that will finish its renovation will be seen in all its beauty, and the spring will come and bring life to the tree. And so he says this is sort of what happens on the inside, that our inner life matures sort of like the sick man who has a covering, a bandage, or a house that's under renovation. Little by little, we, we take off the bandages. Little by little, the, the light shines. Little by little, the beauty comes to appear as we apply this practice of transforming our inner thoughts and minds and hearts. Uh, Elder Paisius tells a story about a conference that the demons had. He said um, one of the demons asked, where should we hide happiness so that men will never be able to find it? Where should we hide happiness that men should be able to? So if one of the demons came and said, I suggest that we hide happiness in the highest mountain of the world, who will be able to find it so high up? 
And the other said, nah, today they have so many means, they can climb anywhere, they have airplanes, they have all means that they can reach the highest peaks of the earth. So another demon said, I suggest hiding it into the greatest depths of the sea. Who will be able to reach the greatest depths of the sea? And they said, well, no, now they have submarines and they have all of these means also which they can reach thousands of feet under the sea. They will find it there even. So a small sort of uh, young demon was sort of uh, sitting quietly. So they said, what about you? Do you have any ideas? What do you think? So he says, well, I have another suggestion. I think we should hide happiness, the happiness of men, in a place where they will never believe it even exists. And for this reason, they will never go searching for it, and they will never manage to find it. And the rest were very excited. They said, oh, tell us, where is this place? He said, I suggest you hide happiness, the, ha- the happiness of men inside their souls. They will never manage to find it there because they will never believe it can be found there. Simple parable, but profound. Our happiness, our transformation is inside, not outside. That applies to everything, not just our work, our family, but even the church. Many times we, we have many struggles with what we see in the church. But the, the point is, is that there has never been a generation in which the church was perfect. There has never been a generation in which there wasn't trials and difficulties and problems and heresies and sin and corruption. And yet it is the bride of Christ. He chooses to be identified with his church. He chooses not to be identified apart from his church. That's why when, when Saul of Tarsus was persecuting the Christians and Christ appeared to him, he said what? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul could have said, to, hey, I didn't touch you. I, I, didn't, I didn't even come near you. I came to these men and women who are causing problems. He's like, but they are me and I am them. You cannot separate Christ from his church because he chose it that way. So we, we, we change the world, we change the church, we change our families, our marriages, by each one of us changing how we look at the world, our workplace, the church, our spouses, our children, by being transformed from within. Um, one of the spiritual fathers of the 20th century, he said, the discovery of God present in the soul is one of the most momentous in the soul's spiritual career. Once the soul has grasped the significance of this doctrine, the whole horizon changes, the implications are limitless. This is what St. Peter in his epistle calls the hidden person of the heart. He says, don't let your adornment be merely outward. And then he goes on to enumerate the outward sorts of adornment, like what we wear, how we dress, how we groom ourselves. But it could be applied to everything. Don't let... The hit, don't let your adornment be what you do to the outside world, what you accomplish in the outside world, what you're able to change in the outside world. More important to God is what you change inside of yourself. This is the hidden person of the heart, he says. This is the incorruptible beauty that will go into eternity. Everything else, all of our projects, even the projects of the church, even the sacraments of the church will no longer appear in the kingdom of God. We will no longer have the Eucharist. We will no longer have ordinations and marriages. But what will remain is the hidden person of the heart. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And so, as Father Zacharias says, he says, the the heart is the battlefield of our salvation, 
Everything we do is dead. Only the work that we do on our heart remains. What, what, a, what a, a statement. Everything we do is dead. Only what, what the work that we do on our heart remains. What about the great work I do in the world? What about all the souls that I saved? Ultimately, unless you change, unless you repent, unless you are transformed, unless you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, none of those things matter. Father Leiva Merikakis says, the depths of the human heart, in fact, are to man what the heavens are to God, the locus of authentic life. Let me paraphrase. He says, the depths of the human heart, the, the interior of your life and my life, is analogous to what the heavens are for God. The throne of God, what is analogous to the throne of God in heaven, is the inner depth of your heart and my heart. This is the, 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 the locus, the, the place of authentic living. And so what we need is a new awareness, a new understanding, a new love, a new grace, a new patience, a new hope, a new faith, a new light. And we can do this, of course, by being aware of the inner dwelling of God throughout even the mundane activities of our lives. We, we, we know from our Orthodox spirituality how many times we've talked about the Jesus prayer. We can say the Jesus prayer anywhere while we're cooking, while we're doing the laundry, while we're walking, while we're waiting, while we're driving. We can always be in communion with God. We can always say, Lord, give me a new faith. Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Or as one saint said, God, within me, I love thee. God, within me, I love thee. Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. Lord Jesus Christ, I trust in you. Lord Jesus Christ, change my mind, my thoughts, my heart. We can be praying this all the time. And so, again, another spiritual father says beautifully, he says, once conscious, once conscious of bearing God, we begin to talk to him. We call out to him even in the heat of great work. We can do this because just a few words, even a sigh, even a sigh, he says, suffice to convey our thoughts and desires to the indwelling God. When we grow more perfect in this, when our soul is in continual presence of God, we send forth aspirations of love, that is, thoughts and feelings of love towards God, breathing forth in the full sense of the word. So the, the first step is to be aware that the kingdom of God is within you, within me, that God is dwelling there, that the place of our happiness is there, that the place of our transformation is there, that the way we change the world begins by going there. And then we commune with God with great ease and with great joy and with great peace. My God within me, how much I love thee. I'll end with a, another beautiful um, encounter between um, Marcel Vaughn, the uh, Vietnamese saint that I spoke to you about many times. Um, and his conversations with the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, remember how simple he was and how, um, how the Lord dealt with him in this beautiful simplicity. So Marcel Vaughn says, I remember one day when I had absolutely nothing to say to the Lord Jesus. I kept looking at him full of disgust, trying to meditate but without knowing how to begin. What a, an honest beginning point, right? I, I, I'm looking at him with faith, but 
I have nothing to say. I have, I have no even love. I, as a matter of fact, my heart is full of disgust. I don't know how to meditate. I don't know how to pray. And then he says, seeing me in this state, in this condition, Jesus called me in order to teach me a way to occupy my mind with him. He told me, first of all, to look at the bench. The bench. And he added, little brother, say, quote, I love you in this bench. He then told me to look at everything in the oratory, in the, in the monastic community, and to repeat for each object, the Lord, Lord Jesus, I love you in the dust. Lord Jesus, I love you in the fly. Lord Jesus, I love you in the window. Lord Jesus, I love you in the foot of the bench. Lord Jesus, I love you in the flower, in the plant, in the flower pot, and the earth in the pot, in the shelf where the pot is placed, in the brick, in the pillar. I love you in the bird. I love you in the bird's song. I love you in the frog. I love you in the white tree frog. I love you in the noise that the frog makes. I love you in the airplane. I love you in the motor car, etc. Finally, the Lord Jesus said to me, little brother, you can always make use of this little method. And so you will be able, while resting, to make this prayer continually. In addition, this method will help you never to commit any fault in your distractions. Where the Spirit leads you, your love also leads you. In such a way that I'm loved by you in every place. In such a way that I'm loved by you in every place. In comforting me like this, in very ordinary things, even in the simple grain of sand, you force me to follow you, you force me to follow you step by step in order to give you my love and my kisses. In comforting me like this in very ordinary things, in the very ordinary things, even in a simple grain of sand, you force me to follow you step by step in order to give you my love and my kisses. What a beautiful um, method, a beautiful way for us, even when we feel that disgust within us and we can't pray and we can't meditate, we can't read, we can't even think about God, we just turn our thoughts to everything in the world and say, Lord, I love you in this person. I love you in that car. I love you in that tree. I love you in that bird. What a, what a profound message given to such a simple soul. And I think we can apply it in so many different ways in our life. I'll leave it to you and to me to pray about that and to see how, Lord, how, Lord, are you going to give me a new mind? How, Lord, are you going to change my heart? Lord, my thoughts are dark. My thoughts are sinful. My thoughts are judgmental. My thoughts are this and this and that. Give me new thoughts. As we say in the end of the divine liturgy, every thought not pleasing to your goodness, let it be far. Let it be far, Lord. Every thought not pleasing to your goodness. Right? And this is the new year. This is the new day. This is the new hour. This is the new minute. This is the new second of my life. The light has come and he has vanished the darkness. May him, to him be glory now and ever into the ages of ages. Amen.